Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on Sunday, November 11th, 2012. Today's message is The Freedom of Simplicity by Pastor Ryan Cochran, based on James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. Today's special music is the choir. Lord, we thank you that you have been with us today as we have lifted up our, our hearts and our voices uh, with singing. Lord, as we've joined together in prayer, and Lord, now as we come together around your word. Lord, we pray that you will speak to us, and Lord, we are here to listen. God, open our ears to what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord be with you. We know that Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus says this in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, just after he has told us that we need to be careful not to to worry or to be anxious about our life, Uh, not to worry about the clothes that we wear or the things that we're going to eat. He tells us that our Heavenly Father knows that we need them, that He is in control of these things, and He knows what we need. So, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. I've mentioned a few times during this sermon series on James that many of James' instructions come uh, from the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount that his brother Jesus gave uh, that's recorded for us in Matthew. And as I've studied the book of James over the last few months, I've noticed echoes of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount coming up over and over again in the letter of James. Uh, James usually doesn't quote the Sermon on the Mount. It's, uh, it just kind of shows up. And he never really quotes it. As I, as I think about it, it doesn't seem as if James goes, ah, I, think, I think Jesus may have said something in the Sermon on the Mount, so let me go find my, my Bible and quote what he says. That's not what he does. It's very, very rarely is there a direct quote. Instead, what we hear are these echoes, uh, these times where, where it seems that the Sermon on the Mount just kind of flows from who James is. And so we hear these echoes, we, we hear the, the idea of the Sermon on the Mount, or the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount, just coming up over and over again in James's letter. And this is very true in the passage that we had read for us earlier. In James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12, um, I noticed at least three echoes from the Sermon on the Mount. At least three times where James refers to some words that Jesus spoke in this sermon. There might be more, um, but I heard at least three echoes of the Sermon on the Mount. The first one comes in verse 9. James says, Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Not a direct quote, but certainly an echo. 
The spirit, the idea of the Sermon on the Mount comes out. Look at verse 11. James says, as you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. In the Beatitudes, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake. In verse 12, we have uh, the closest thing to a direct quotation to the Sermon on the Mount, when James says, above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. And Jesus says almost these exact same words in Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. The meaning, the idea, the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount comes up over and over again in James's letter. Three times in these six verses in Matthew chapter 5, we hear echoes of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was Jesus' longest extended teaching to his disciples about what it means to follow him, about what it means to call him Lord, about what it means to trust in his heavenly Father. They are instructions about living a life in this upside-down kingdom of God. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says some very uh, upside-down things. Uh, He says things like, when a person strikes you on the cheek, don't strike them back, but turn the other cheek. When a person takes your coat, don't try to get it back. Instead, give him your shirt as well. Can you imagine doing that? Can you imagine doing that? He says things like, blessed are the poor and the meek and the persecuted and those who mourn. He says things like, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. All of these instructions are really upside down from our world's perspectives. These are not the ways that you should live if you want to be successful in the eyes of the world. Not the ways that you should live if you want to be safe and comfortable and secure here in this life. But they are the way that we are to live if we want to follow Jesus as Lord. And they are only possible to live out if we believe that Jesus is Lord. And the Sermon on the Mount is is an invitation to come and to live our lives under the authority of Jesus and to see that once we do that, once we see that Jesus is Lord, then everything changes. The way that we see the world changes, the way that we interact with other people changes, the way that we understand our possessions and how we hold them and how we use use them, that all changes. We are invited to live a life of trust that Jesus is Lord and that he is in control And that because of that, we can release our need to be in control. To trust that Jesus is in control and to release our need to be in control. And I think that this is the same invitation that James gives here in James chapter 5. To acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he is in control, and that because of that, we can release our need to be in control. James begins this section with a call to remember and anticipate the return of the Lord Jesus. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Jesus is returning. The Lord is coming back. James has just uh, went on a bit of a, of a rant against the rich people 
And James condemns these rich people who are oppressing the poor and using their money and wealth only for themselves. And I think some of the people who receive James's letter are people who are being oppressed by these rich people. And so James says to them, the Lord is returning. Be patient. He is Lord. He will make all things right. So James, writing to those who are suffering, reminds them to be patient. The Lord Jesus is returning. Be patient. He is Lord. What is this thing called patience? As a pastor, I often find myself asking people as they're going through some kind of trial or difficulty, I will ask them, what do you think that God is teaching you in all of this? And without a doubt, the most common answer that I get is patience. God's teaching me patience. It's not always easy in our lives to discern what God is teaching us, but it seems like it's pretty easy to discern when God is teaching us patience. And it seems like he's teaching it to us a lot, doesn't it? Because all of us are waiting for something. All of us right now in your life are waiting for something. Maybe waiting for news from the doctor. Maybe waiting for one of your loved ones who you would love to come to know Christ. Maybe you're waiting for them to do that. Maybe you're waiting about news for a new job or a new opportunity that's in front of you. Maybe you're waiting for this sermon to be over. All of us are waiting for something. All of us find that we need patience every day. Patience with other people, patience with God, even patience with ourselves. We all need patience, and God is teaching it to us a lot. And the way I want us to think about patience today is this. Patience is the ability to be at peace when the circumstances around us are out of our control. Patience is the ability to be at peace when the circumstances around us are out of our control. In order to have patience, James points us to Jesus. Look, friends, James says, your circumstances are beyond your control. You're suffering. There may be many people around you that you don't like very much, and you're tempted to grumble against them. These things are outside of your control, but be patient. Jesus is Lord. He is in control. He is coming, and he will bring about his good in your circumstances. That's what he's saying to those he's writing to. And we have to be able to admit that the same thing is true about us in our lives. For the most part, our circumstances are out of our control. We like to think that we're in control of our lives, and we talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about time and money. But really, for the most part, we are not in control of many areas of our lives. We cannot control other people's actions around us. We cannot really control our own personal health. We cannot control the realities of the economy. We cannot control the decisions of our political leaders. We do need patience. We need to be able to be at peace when the circumstances around us are out of our control. And James and Jesus both say that we receive this patience, this peace, when we trust that Jesus is Lord. When we trust that he is in control, that he is coming again and that he will make all things right. And so right now, we are invited to live under his authority and to experience the freedom 
that comes from knowing that we're not in control. We're invited to live in this freedom from knowing that we're not in control, but that Jesus is. It's freeing if we really come to know the truth about who is Lord over our life. And James calls us to be free in at least three different ways as he echoes the Sermon on the Mount. Those three echoes of the Sermon on the Mount are ways that James invites us into being set free in this way. Being set free from being in control. First, James says that we can be set free in our relationships with others. Do not grumble against one another. If you judge, you will be judged. Grumbling is is that attitude of, of always seeing the worst in a person or in a situation and then talking about it. And all of us do this, don't we? All of us, whether it's a particular person or maybe a lot of circumstances in our life, we just tend to see the worst and we talk about it and we we grumble. Now you may have heard that this past week that there was a little event down south um, called the presidential election. I think the actions of people after the election are a really good illustration of the danger of grumbling and how easy it is to do and how quickly we turn to grumbling when we feel that we are not in control. When we feel as if there's nothing that we can do, we very quickly turn to grumbling. Most of you know this, but for those of you who might not know this, I do have a confession. I am an American. I am an American. And for the most part, I am very proud to be an American. I love my country but I'm often not proud to be an American after an election. Not because of my disappointment in the candidates that won. I'm often not proud to be an American because of the way that people react to their leaders after the election is over. I'm especially disappointed in the way that Christians often react after the results of of an election are in. Usually it is a lot of grumbling. And it seems to me that especially in this one, there's this sense that the sky is falling because the election went the way that it did. And our, our access to Facebook, we know that our ability to grumble and for people to hear our grumbling just kind of expands a hundredfold. This grumbling comes from a desire to be in control. I can't control someone's actions. I can't control what happened in this election that I'm so frustrated about, but... I can say something about it. I can say something about them or about those people who voted for that other guy. I can grumble against them. I think this post-election season, if you've paid attention, is a great illustration of why people grumble. It's a sense that there's no control over the situation, so at least I can say something and speak into it in some way. But we know that it's not just kind of these big uh, seasons like an election where we're tempted to grumble, right? We we do this also in our individual lives. Someone uh, that we know of in our life, in our workplace, in our church does something that we don't like, and it's very easy to grumble about it in order to grasp control. We feel out of control, and so we feel the need to grumble. James tells us, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is Lord. He will be the judge, so be set free. You don't have to be the judge anymore. Take that burden off of your shoulders. 
stop grumbling against one another. You are not the judge anyways. Knowing that Jesus is Lord sets us free in our relationships. It sets us free by by knowing that we don't have to be the ones to set people straight. We don't have to be the ones who always point out the shortcomings of others. We don't have to be the ones who judge. And so we can be set free to enter into these relationships with others in a way that encourages them and gives life to them, rather than feeling like we have to be the ones to set them straight. Knowing that Jesus is Lord sets us free in our relationships. We don't have to grumble against others. Jesus will be the judge. Secondly, James says that Jesus is Lord and that that sets us free when we suffer. When we suffer. There is no time when we feel more out of control than when we're suffering. When we're physically sick, physically disabled, when we lose someone that we love, In those times, there is a feeling of hopelessness and a feeling that we are out of control. James reminds us to be patient in our suffering because blessed are those who persevere. Knowing that God is in control and that blessing is waiting for those who suffer in faith. Blessing is waiting for those who suffer in faith. Throughout James's letter, he has spoken frequently about uh, persevering in our trials. Through our time in the book of James, our confession of faith has been this quote from the book of James that whenever we face trials of many kinds, we will consider it pure joy because we know that that trial is testing our faith and that the testing of our faith produces perseverance and the perseverance that is built in us makes us mature, complete, not lacking anything. James is very realistic. He says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, not if you're going to face trials, not maybe if you happen to come across a trial in your life, but whenever you do, in other words, trials will come, not if, but when trials will come, God is at work in them. Blessed are those who persevere in suffering. We are promised trials, but consider it pure joy. Because in those trials, God is in them. He is at work in them. He is doing something in them. And James is telling us that we are called to look through those trials and into the thing that he wants to do in us, the thing that he is working on our hearts about. Third, James says to us, I think a little bit surprisingly, that not only can we have freedom in our relationships with others, not only can we have freedom in our suffering, but James says we can also have freedom in our speech. Freedom in our speech. Verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no or you will be condemned. This is a confusing part of this passage for me. I think just like last week, there was a verse that just caught me off guard, and if you really pay attention to what James is thinking about, it just seems out of place. And this verse to me seems a little bit out of place, and it's the, the, the part that I spent the most time thinking about this week. James has been telling us to trust in the Lord's return, to be patient because we know that Jesus is Lord and in control. 
And then he makes this sharp turn and and says something that seems unrelated by telling us, don't swear, don't take an oath. Instead, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Does that seem a little disjointed to you? Yes, okay, a few people are saying yes. It seems out of place. And not only that, but James, James even goes a step further and says, above all, make sure not to swear. Most importantly, don't do this. Even more important than not grumbling, even more important than persevering through your suffering, above all, don't take an oath. Don't swear. Seems to me an odd thing for James to say as something that is most important, don't you think? What is going on in this passage? What is James getting at? This is another echo of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's almost an exact quotation of what Jesus himself said when he said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. I think what James is saying and what the Sermon on the Mount is saying when Jesus said it is once again this need that we have to be in control. This need that we have to be in control and how dangerous it is. Jesus and James are showing us the ways that we seek to use our words to manipulate other people and even to manipulate God. When we do not trust that Jesus is Lord, that he is in control, we will be tempted to manipulate other people with our words, to seek to be in control of them in some way maybe even to try to be in control of God with the way that we use our words. And the way that we do that, at least sometimes, is to add these oaths or these swear, I swear, in order to add greater weight to the words that we say. No doubt all of us have done this at some point in our life when we're really in the midst of an argument or we're trying to prove something to somebody, we're really trying to convince them of something, we'll say, you know, I swear to God. Or, as a little kid, we'd say, you know, cross my heart and hope to die. You know, in order to show that this is really true, we want to convince somebody of something. We do this to to add greater weight to our words so that other people will believe us when we fear that they wouldn't otherwise. And what James and Jesus both see in this action, I think, is our desire to be in control, to use our words to control other people and to not leave other people in their freedom to believe us or not. We add these extra words as a way to bring people under our control to somehow force them to believe us because we're afraid that they won't. And James and John see a real danger here and they call us to be set free in our speech, to make our speech simple, and to trust that Jesus is Lord. To make sure that we are not seeking to manipulate other people with our words, but to simply allow our words to be yes, if it's yes, and no, if it's no, and to leave other people in their freedom to agree with you or not. What does it matter, really? Because Jesus is Lord. If we know that it's true, We don't have to convince people, manipulate people, say oaths and swear just so that they'll believe us and come along with us. We can leave people in their freedom to agree or not agree, to go along with you or not. Jesus is Lord. We do not need to seek to control other people with our words, to control their actions in one way or another by adding this weight 
to our words. I think that's what James is getting at. It goes along with this idea of control and and patience that uh, goes throughout uh, the course of these six verses. We are called to be set free when we come under the authority of Jesus in every way. James talks about three ways in this passage. He talks about being free in our relationships, being set free in our sufferings, and also being set free with our words. Be patient, my brothers, for the Lord's return is near. Our hope is in the return of Jesus. Our hope is that Jesus is Lord and that he will come and make all things right. James is telling us in this passage that he is Lord so that we don't have to be. We can take off this burden of feeling like we need to win in our relationships with one another. We can set free from trying to make all kinds of sense out of the suffering that we go through. We can be set free in our speech, knowing that we can simply live and speak as if we're speaking to an audience of one. Jesus is Lord. I don't have to convince everyone else around me to agree with me. I can simply speak freely and simply because Jesus is Lord. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and James in his letter are reminding us that Jesus is Lord, and so we can take off that burden of thinking that we have to be. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the invitation that you give to us to receive and enter into your kingdom. Lord, even you do not force us or manipulate us into becoming into coming under your authority. Lord, you seek to leave us in our freedom to come and to receive and to enter into your kingdom and to come under your authority. And so, Lord, I pray that as we seek to do that in our lives each day, Lord, that we would learn that you are in control and that we can be set free from feeling like we have to be in control of our lives and the lives of others. Lord, set us free from this as we come to know more and more uh, that you are Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.